Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest RevDem podcast. My name is Teodor Milojkovic. I'm an assistant editor, and today I have a great pleasure of hosting Dr. Pablo Castillo Ortiz. Uh, Dr. Castillo-Ortiz is a senior lecturer in law at the University of Sheffield in the UK. Uh, he develops interdisciplinary, interdisciplinary law and politics research on judicial governance and its role in democratic systems uh, with a focus on the European Union. Uh, his research has been published in leading journals in law and political science, uh, such as European Constitutional Law Review, European Political Science Review, Journal of Law and Society, and others. Uh, today, I have a great pleasure to discuss with him his recently published book for Springer, uh, Judicial Governance and Democracy in Europe. Uh, hello, Pavlo. It's a great pleasure to have you today with us. Hello, Theodora. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so, basically... Um, as we know, judicial independence has been a, a hot topic uh, in the EU for the last decade, not only for the reasons of uh, democratic and rule of law erosion, but more generally, the question of uh, judicial reforms has been uh, the center of attention, both scholarly and public. So your um, book, I think, is a great contribution to the discussion. And let's just um, delve into it right away. Um, for a long time, International standard-setting organizations have endorsed the principle, the more the better, uh, when it comes to the degree of judicial independence, uh, not only in the EU, but also uh, broadly international standards. But um, let's say that the growing research uh, calls for re-examining the common wisdom regarding the role and organization of courts. Um, your recently published book, uh, Judicial Governance and Democracy in Europe that I mentioned uh, seeks to examine to what extent existing mechanisms for judicial governance have contributed to the stability and quality of the democratic systems in which they are implemented. So in the book, you take an interdisciplinary politics and law perspective and you combine empirical and theoretical considerations. Um, beyond the world of lawyers and political scientists, I feel there is a, a certain unclarity on what judicial governance even stands for. So when we talk about judiciary, um, I feel that the general public um, does not really know uh, what it means to interfere with judicial independence and what it means to violate judicial independence and what is the value of judicial governance in the first place. So can we start with that? Can you explain to our readers and listeners uh, what judicial governance is in the first place and what types of judicial governance models are in Europe? Because your book focuses uh, specifically on Europe. Yeah, Theodora, so thank you so much. Um, I think it's a very pertinent question. And actually, providing a definition of judicial governance can prove tricky because what we generally call judicial governance is actually a set of different functions that have to do with judiciaries, but which are not the function of adjudicating the law to specific cases, which is the main function of judicial actors, right? Um, and sometimes people get confused uh, uh, in this topic when it comes to this topic. Uh, so judicial governance is uh, about uh, managing judicial careers. It's about how to recruit judges for a judicial system, how to promote judges for a judicial system. Uh, it's also about how to and when and why to discipline and sanction judges, which as, as we all know is very important because whoever has the power to sanction judges has a lot of power over the judicial branch, right? But judicial governance goes beyond that also. It's about the management of the judiciary, the allocation of cases to specific judges, allocation of workload, 
it's about automation, it's about software for the judicial function, it's about allocation of resources and financing. So all this range of, of functions have to do with judicial governance. Now, what is interesting is that we have different models of judicial governance, and this is interesting for many reasons. One of them is that it allows us to compare, right? So comparatives, we like, we like this variety and this diversity because precisely because we have this diversity, um, at, the, at the academic level, we can engage in comparison and we can try to understand which model does what in, in which way, right? Um, so in, in Europe, we have this classification uh, dating back to at least one decade ago by Bobek and Kossar, uh, in which we they proposed uh, this classification in mostly judicial council model, court service model, ministry of justice model, hybrid models, etc. Now, in my book, what I go, what I do is to go back to that classification, and I try to classify different countries into these models of judicial governance. Now, going back to your question, uh, how can we define these different models of judicial governance? Well, the, the judicial council model is the model in which one single institution, which is very often constitutionalized, um, um, uh, concentrates the power over the management of the judiciary, the management of judicial careers. Uh, management of the judicial of judicial governance in general. So we have examples of this model in Italy, for instance, or in my country, Spain, etc. Then we have the court service model, which is a model of judicial governance in which we have an, a separate organ that manages the judiciary at the administrative level, at the managerial level, sometimes at the financial level also, but which does not have power over judicial careers. And this is very important. So in the UK, for instance, we have the court service uh, institution, the court service model in England and Wales, also a court service model in Scotland or in Northern Ireland. So we have this model uh, in the UK or in Scandinavian countries also, in which, as I say, there is a separate institution with powers to manage the judiciary, but not powers over judicial careers. And we can talk about this later and, and about who's got the powers over judicial careers in, this, in these instances. And then we have the Ministry of Justice model in which the government, and in particular the Ministry of Justice, is still um, has at least formally powers over judicial careers and over the management of the judiciary. Although in practice, we know uh, that in many countries based on the on the Ministry of Justice model, which, by the way, uh, are a minority at the moment in Europe, in these countries, like in practice, this power are exercised by the Ministry of Justice, but also by like by some sort of informal mechanisms also, also by the judiciary. So there is some sort of dynamic of cooperation between the Ministry of Justice and judges, especially higher, higher judges. Yes, so thank you so much for this overview. I feel it's really important to to just lay it out because um, um, usually when we, and we will discuss this later, but usually when we discuss about judicial governance, uh, I think a hero model or the judicial council model is the one that comes uh, to our minds, um, not only to the public, but also to lawyers. And I think that uh, the great contribution of your book is actually that 
you examine the other models and the benefits that other models have uh, in comparison to to Euro model. Um, but what I what I would like to emphasize right now is that usually the scholarship um, and even the the public discussion focuses on. Um, the effect of these judicial governance models on judicial independence. So basically, we are always discussing how to make judiciary more independent, how to organize it in order to be more uh, independent. What you do in your book uh, is something different and I think very valuable, uh, but also I think very hard. So I would like to to uh, discuss with you your uh, your methods, if you had any problems with your methods, because what, you, what you're trying to do in your, and you are doing successfully in your book, is to connect the judicial governance models with the level of democracy. So basically, you are empirically examining uh, the countries in which uh, like they are different, like you are comparing the countries with different judicial governance models, and you are examining from the level of democracy, from the quality of democracy that there are, uh, that there is in those countries. So well, as we know, I mean, at least in uh, legal and uh, public uh, and political science scholarship, that Euro model, uh, which we mentioned, is the model where the one uh, institution uh, is in charge. And usually that one institution is primarily co consisted of judges. Uh, we, we know that this model is the one endorsed uh, to, uh, as um, a model which promotes the rule of law and judicial independence. But your research shows that countries where judicial councils exist score worst when assessed uh, by all main indexes of democratic quality. So there is a certain um, clash then, I would say. So basically, you show that the other model, specifically court services model, uh, seems to be more positively correlated with democratic quality. Um, so my question, I have two questions. Uh, what is the explanation for this finding? So I, I think it's a very interesting finding because we do, we didn't hear it before. At least I didn't hear it before, uh, specifically because you know when we talk about judicial independence, we connect judicial independence with the democratic systems, and then we think, okay, if the judiciary is more independent, then you know there is better democracy at place. But it seems that that's not the case. So uh, what are the uh, explanations for these findings? What did you find out in your research? And also, the second question would be, uh, what are the policy uh, implications of this finding? So if this is really the case, if, if you empirically prove it, uh, shouldn't we be reconsidering um, uh, what models we are endorsing on international level um, for, for democracies to strive? Thank you so much, Theodora. Yeah, I mean, this is the starting point of the book, right? This is a very, very interesting puzzle. I mean, I found it very interesting. The fact that when you do go and do a simple correlation, a simple bivariate correlation between models of judicial governance and democratic quality, um, what we find is that, yes, there are many countries based on the judicial council model that do very well in terms of democratic quality, but actually countries based on the court service model on average, do a little bit better in terms of democratic quality, right? But also the thing is that because we know that correlation is not causation, like we say all the time, and then what I wanted to do in the book is actually to try to find out why that is the case and what's behind this a little bit of a puzzle, this initial puzzle that 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 I found in my in my preliminary analysis, right? And then what I found is that in general. Um, 
so this is probably an omitted variable, variable bias. What, what, what is behind this correlation is the fact that countries that implemented uh, the Judicial Council model did it when they were exiting authoritarian periods. Therefore, they have younger democracies that, you know, they have had less time to consolidate, etc. Whereas countries that like are based in the court service model are are also um, older democracies with with a longer period like to consolidate etc so this is the one thing i i think is very important to clarify is that yes countries based on the on the judicial council model do a little bit worse on average in terms of democratic quality but it is not because of because because they have in a judicial council so this is the first finding um then this finding is related also, we can talk a little bit more about the findings of the research later if you want, but in terms of policy implications, what it finds is that, so actually, and despite that at the Bibari level is, you know, as we say, correlated with a bit of lower democratic quality, when we include in the equation other factors such as the level of modernization of the countries, uh, judicial councils are not detrimental to democratic quality. So having a judicial council is not bad for democratic quality after all, not at all. Uh, and having a court service is not particularly positive in order to have a better level of democratic quality. And I think this was the second finding of the research that I found very interesting is that um, models of judicial governance, when it comes to like, you know, like net effects and a statistical analysis, they don't seem to have a very significant impact on the level of democratic quality of the countries. And what does have a big impact in my analysis is like the, the theory of modernization that like, mm -hmm. you know, colleagues over and over again have shown that modernization has a clear uh, connection to the, to the levels of democratization of the countries, etc. So this is what has the main impact in terms of democratic quality. Judicial governance in, in correlations in a statistical analysis when it comes to net effects does not seem to have a very strong uh, connection to democratic quality. Actually, it does not seem to have any connection whatsoever to democratic quality. However, and this is the third finding, uh, it does have an effect on democratic quality when we consider specific countries and when we consider the interaction of the model of judicial governance with other factors. And we can discuss this later. Yes, yes, yes. I'm really interested because you say, obviously, uh, we can say that the model of judicial governance as such alone does not contribute significantly to democratic quality. But what what if we talk about vice versa scenario? So there is correlation uh, vice versa as well, that if the quality of democracy is worse, then I think judicial governance models uh, are more important, you know, exactly. because um, the thing is, um, what we examined in Europe in the last decade, what we saw is that, uh, and this is also what I would want to discuss with you, because um, I would really want to discuss uh, one example, maybe later, uh, of this uh, question of the um, judicial council model and how the uh, how the story played out, for example, in Poland and in Hungary, and how the story played out in Spain, in your country. Because as we know, so they all have judicial council model, different, a bit different, right? The structure is different, but uh, it's a judicial council model. But I think their uh, judicial governance model uh, in correlation with democracy level really 
played important picture. But let's just like we can discuss that now. But let's just um, uh, I want to just uh, continue this uh, to go back to the judicial independence as such. Um, if we um, say that uh, judicial governance models, because there are there are uh, scholars who say that actually judicial governance models. Uh, do not specifically enhance um, uh, judicial independence. And that also relates to the research which discusses that the Jure uh, guarantees of judicial uh, independence do not really match with the, the, the practice of judicial independence in the country. So there is this example that is often mentioned uh, in the literature of Czech Republic, which was um, uh, post-communist, I mean, third wave democracy state, which uh, did refuse to accept judicial council model. Uh, and yet its level of judicial independence uh, has shown to be relatively high in the last decade. My question to you is, do you think that's because of the judicial governance model? Do you think that uh, it's that or it has something to do also with the level of democracy? And if it is uh, primarily uh, that they have higher level of judicial independence in Czech Republic due to the judicial governance model, uh, could we then argue then the institutional design uh, doesn't define judicial independence as much as the legal culture. So my question is, do you think the Czech Republic, did they, for example, Czech Republic, if we take that example, do you think that the level of independence uh, is higher in comparison to other countries uh, due to the fact they refused the council model or legal culture is primarily there um, at place? I mean, I assume you don't, you know, you don't have exact answers because that was not your uh, jurisdiction, but just like when we're discussing it, what you think? Yes, no, absolutely. I think like the, the thing with judicial independence is that it comes down to a number of factors which are the jure and informal. And in the case of the Czech Republic, this is a country that is achieving high levels of judicial independence and high levels of democratic quality. Um, Regardless, so re regardless of the fact that it's not based on the judicial council model, and this takes me also to something which I found very interesting, which is that. So as you were saying before, like judicial governance plays a big role in democratic quality when it comes to lower levels of democratic quality. This is what I found. This is one of the findings of the book is that so countries that are have very low levels of electoral democracy as court countries that are outright dictatorships like Russia or Belarus, they obviously are never based on the model of independent judicial councils because that is incompatible with authoritarian control of the judiciary. So for countries with low level of democratic quality um, or which are outright authoritarian, then like judicial governance seems to be correlated in, in this way. Judicial governance is correlated, is like is associated with this uh, type of countries in the sense that th these countries or the leaders of these countries are allergic to having out, like independent judicial institutions and independent judicial uh, independent institutions for judicial governance. However, when it comes to countries with high levels of democratic quality, what we find is that judicial governance does not seem so, to be so relevant. What I found in the book is that for the Czech Republic, which is based on the Ministry of Justice model and still achieves a high level of democratic quality, or for Spain, for my country, which is based on the Judicial Council model, although not in the in what the literature calls the Euro model, because as, as you were hinting before, uh, in Spain, we have a judicial council 
whose members are appointed by the parliament by super majorities, not by simple majorities, by super majorities. Uh, so in this country, or in or say uh, Sweden, which is also which is based on the court service model, and as we all know, has a high level of democratic quality. For all these countries, all these countries achieve very high levels of democratic quality with very different models of judicial governance. And therefore, my analysis suggests that what matters in this country is modernization as a background condition. Membership of the EU could also play a role. And then high levels of judicial independence and low levels of judicial corruption, regardless of the type of model of judicial governance that they have. So this is something that I found very interesting. And this applies to the example that you were mentioning, to the Czech Republic. In the Czech Republic, there is a Ministry of Justice model. The Czech Republic achieves high levels of judicial of judicial independence and high levels of democratic quality with this model. Um, I think where it can make a difference, the model of judicial governance, according to my analysis, is in countries that don't have uh, so high levels of modernization, that are not member states of the EU. In these countries, with similar background conditions, countries based on an independent judicial council model, they achieve intermediate levels of democratic quality. Countries in which there is a dysfunctional judiciary, which is controlled by the executive and without judicial independence, etc. These countries with similar, other than that similar background conditions, um, they achieve very low levels of electoral democracy quality. And sometimes they're, as I say, uh, outright authoritarian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, we will discuss uh, these um, uh, countries, uh, non- non-EU countries. It's very interesting how judicial governance plays out in those countries, uh, especially because of the the EU and Council of Europe um, pressures. But uh, let's just go back to this question that I wanted to ask you about the um, uh, judicial governance models that, uh, like, for example, if we have... I know that you, in your book you mentioned uh, Poland as an interesting or maybe in one of your articles, I don't remember now, but you mentioned Poland uh, as an interesting example. Uh, so, so like uh, uh, you were you were discussing how judicial governance model in Poland correlates with democratic um, erosion. So basically, I want to know more about this. This is one thing, and second thing, which is related to this, uh, for example. Um, as we saw, as you mentioned, in Spain, uh, you have a different model of uh, judicial council. So what would we do if, for example, Poland said, why can't we have this? Because, you know, Spain has it. So why is that a problem if it works well in Spain? Why wouldn't it work in our country as well? We are both in the EU. So my question is uh, this abuse of reference to successful um, judicial governance models. This is a question that I often ask to to my interviewees because uh, this, this, you know, abuse of, of comparative legal uh, practices and also comparative a theory by mostly illiberal leaders is quite dangerous. So, so I, I, this is why I think it's important to to discuss the benefits and the downsides of these models. I'm just trying to illustrate to our listeners why this matters so much uh, that it's that it actually goes beyond just a scholarly discussion. Yes, I, I, I'm very happy you asked me this question because this is actually, as you say, something I have been addressing in my research and also in some policy papers that I prepare. Uh, recently, I prepared one for a think tank in Spain. And I think it is really interesting because it is actually literally exactly that what the Polish 
government sometimes tries to do is to make references to the Spanish model of judicial governance to say, if Spain has it, why can't we have it? And the answer is that they are not having the same model as we have in Spain. And, you know, we can discuss whether the Spanish model is optimal or suboptimal. We are having a massive debate in, in my country as we speak about whether we should uh, change the model of judicial governance to uh, redesign it in line with European standards and have like a majority of members of the council elected by peer judges. And we're having this debate. But as I say, in Spain, the Judicial Council members are appointed by the parliament, but by super majorities. And that forces an agreement between government and opposition. Right? This is not the model that exists currently in Poland. So to answer your question, if Poland were to adopt the Spanish model, probably that would be an improvement over what there is in Poland as we speak. Um, and possibly it could not be I mean, good enough because like there is uh, a model that according to European institutions uh, fosters further judicial independence, which is what is called the Euro model. But I do believe that the Spanish model is different and qualitatively better than the model that exists in Poland at the moment that allows for governmental control mm -hmm. over the Judicial Council. Mm -hmm. So that would be my response. But there are two problems I would I would say in this because uh, first uh, the the Spanish model in in countries um, where it, there is high political polarization it could lead to you know uh, to to the deadlock it could lead to to problems that where you cannot elect judges uh, and secondly I think that also exactly this reason uh, could could somehow prompt uh, polit further politicization of judicial appointments. And uh, in countries, I'm again saying, in countries where there is a high uh, polarization, um, uh, that's one thing. And second thing is, what if, for example, um, they do uh, accept a Spanish model and it's at, at the moment because they don't have majority, they don't have a two-third majority in uh, parliament. Uh, for now, it's good. But for example, in Hungary, it would be a disaster. So basically, uh, once you have a super majority, this model doesn't work. So that's why, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, this is how judicial governance is connected to the equality of democracy and actually um, uh, to to the um, elections as well. So basically, um, I, I'm just saying that I think uh, either way, maybe at this moment, uh, Spanish model would work in Poland. But but what if you know that's that's a problem. That's yeah, a problem. yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I agree with you. Something that I'm very proud of in the book is that. I, I use like not only statistics, but I also do qualitative research and I in particular I do qualitative comparative analysis, which allows something which I, I find really helpful, which is to consider how factors interact in a specific cases. Right. So in the case of Hungary, it is true, like probably a supermajority would not be enough to secure judicial independence because of the specific conditions of Hungary and how the electoral uh, system and, and, and et cetera is playing out. Uh, in the case of Poland, probably it would be an improvement. And in the case of Spain, as you rightly pointed, yes, we have a deadlock in, in, in the appointment of members of the Judicial Council. And there is an ongoing discussion. Something that I am always very keen on insisting is that um, when it comes to models of, you know, when it comes to designing 
constitutional institutions, political institutions, etc., be it judicial councils or constitutional courts or even like mechanisms for uh, constitutional amendment, etc. Uh, there is no perfect solution and we always have to confront trade-offs. Now, probably, yes, uh, if we move to the Spanish model, for instance, in Poland, there will be other trade-offs and there will be advantages and disadvantages. But we know, however, that Spain has achieved a high level of democratic quality during the last uh, dec decades with this parliamentary model of appointment of, of uh, members of the Judicial Council by supermajority. And we know that Poland, with the current system of appointment of members of the Judicial Council and, and with the current control of the judiciary, but also of the constitutional court by, by the executive, is uh, having a decline in its democratic quality or has had a, a, a certain decline on, it, on its democratic quality, rule of law, etc. So this is the situation. This is the situation, and probably the Spanish model is not perfect, but we can say that the Polish model has proved probably more imperfect so far. Yes, exactly, and this is this goes perfectly to my next question. So basically, um, when we talk about Spanish model, and then when we talk about these, uh, to go back to these non-EU countries, uh, which are somehow uh, forced in order to to align with the EU and Council of Europe standards, they are forced to embrace the Euro model. And just to repeat to our listeners, Euro model of judicial governance uh, presupposes that the majority of the council are judges. So basically, it's the model where judges primarily elect judges. So there are other members uh, in, the, in the council as well. But the, the point is that judges elect judges. But as we know, in some of the non-EU countries, and here comes to my mind, uh, I had an interview about Georgia. So the problem is that there is huge level of uh, corruption and uh, interdependence within the judiciary itself. So um, there we then have a new problem. So this Euro model doesn't work in these new constitutional realities. So um, there is this certain paradox then. On one hand, uh, Europe is kind of suggesting, not to say forcing, but suggesting, strongly suggesting these countries which are on EU path to adopt Euro model, while we at the same time can see that in Poland and Hungary, this model and not only in Poland and Hungary, but there it's most visible, it simply doesn't work. So what do you think maybe Spanish model could be a solution instead of Euro model for these new countries where there is still need to have some kind of democratic accountability of the judiciary in order not to fall into this trap of corporativism between uh, among the judicial? Yes. Right? I think the, yes, I, I mean the so in defense of the Euro model of judicial governance, I have to say that one of my findings is that countries that other than you know institutions for judicial governance have similar background conditions. Whenever they have a, a model of independent judicial councils and they have an independent judiciary, they achieve higher levels of democratic quality, mm -hmm. uh, slightly higher levels of democratic quality. So in those instances, it could work. Now, I agree with you uh, that. You know, the judicial concept, the Euro model of judicial governance is not an, an end in itself. It is a means towards an end. And probably the end in these cases is to consolidate the rule of law and to consolidate democracy. Now, to the extent that the Euro model of judicial governance can contribute to that, it is great. Um, however, and this is probably my caveat vis-a-vis -vis European institutions and their suggestions for these countries, 
what matters is not to implement a judicial council model based on the Italian experience, for instance, which can work sometimes, or that we can tweak sometimes to adapt it to specific country circumstances. What matters is that we achieve high levels of judicial independence, low levels of judicial corruption, and ultimately high levels of rule of law quality and democratic quality. Now, if we can achieve that through the model of independent judicial councils, that's great. If we have to tweak that model, that's all right. And so probably, in terms of policy, the the my reflection after this research is um, so that this is not about implementing judicial councils. This is about helping countries achieve higher levels of democratic quality and rule of law stability. If we can do that through independent judicial councils, through the Euro model, that's great. If we have to trick it a little bit to adapt it to national circumstances, I think European institutions and countries should be open to that. Now, I also understand that there is a massive discussion in the field, as you know, and that different colleagues have a slightly different views on this. Um, Something that I think is very important is that we start like discussing this issue, which we are doing already, and a lot of colleagues are doing this already, uh, which I think is very welcome news, with evidence, uh, with evidence-based approaches. I try to do this with my with my little book, and then I know that also some other colleagues are, are doing the same, and are we are trying to advance knowledge using evidence in order to understand what's best and what works and what doesn't when it comes to uh, rule of law, judicial independence, and democratic quality. Mm. Yes, it, exactly. That's why I said that that the, the empirical evidence that you, I mean, you put forward in your book is of immense value because uh, in constitutional theory we had in mind this, you know, perfect models, perfect example, the best practices, right? Yes. But but the problem is that I think the last decade uh, showed us that that these best practices can be abused. So so we we that's why we now have to go into each context uh specifically but obviously you know there are there are dangers with going into specific contexts because um um because then again for example illiberal leaders would say why does your interpretation of the context matters when it comes to our policy on our judicial governance so so yes as you said there are always um there are always trade-offs but um but definitely going towards evidence-based uh analysis of judicial governance um is necessary um in order because as you said it's just a means to an end it's not a an, an end to itself and i, I would just like to um, because you mentioned that you wrote a, a policy paper for uh, for for Spain and that there is a huge debate, I'm really interested. So, where do you stand in that uh, debate, and what is your position uh, when it comes to when it comes to the topic? It's a really difficult debate because what we have in Spain is a deadlock. First, uh, so government and opposition can't agree on appointing new members of the judicial council. Therefore, the mandate of former members has been extended, uh, which should not be the case. We should have new members at this point. Uh, the opposition, the main opposition party, Partido Popular, uh, argues, so they have put forward a number of reasons to refuse agreeing with the government on new members of the Judicial Council. One of them is they say that members, like a majority of members of the Judicial Council should be appointed by pure uh, judges following the standards of the Council of Europe or the Greco group, etc. Uh, and you ask me which is my position on this. Well, my position on this is that 
look, the, the, the proposal of the opposition party, of Partido Popular, in itself is not, is not bad. Um, so it is okay to have a discussion on whether we should move from the supermajoritarian parliamentary model in Spain to a more uh, judicial-oriented model. I think I think it's reasonable. I think to the extent that this proposal is able to reinforce judicial independence, minimize judicial corruption. Spain, by the way, achieves good levels in both of these dimensions in terms of judicial independence. It scores very good in terms of judicial corruption. There does not seem to be much of that in Spain at the moment. But if we can reinforce even further those two dimensions, moving to a different model of judicial governance would be great. However, I don't agree with the opposition party, with Partido Popular, in their position of refusing to agree on new members of the Judicial Council because... I think that position would be reasonable in a scenario in which the quality of democracy in Spain uh, was deteriorating, but that is not the case. I think Spain is achieving healthy levels of democratic quality, therefore, and, and is achieving healthy levels of democratic quality with this model of judicial governance, with the current model of judicial governance, with uh, parliamentary appointment of judicial council members by supermajority. So my position is, um, Government and opposition should sit and discuss uh, which model of judicial governance is best for Spain. Uh, the opposition party, Partido Popular, should um, ultimately uh, agree with the government on the renewal of the, the Judicial Council, regardless of whether the model of judicial governance is changed or not. Uh, if they win the election, they they can change later the model of judicial governance. And on the side of the government, there was the temptation at some point, which I thought it was very dangerous, to, in response to the refusal of the opposition party to negotiate members of the Judicial Council, to go for a majoritarian process of appointment of Judicial Council members, that proposal was dropped, uh, which was a good thing because that was a very... A dangerous path. Uh, and I think the government should forget about these ideas, which I think they have done at the moment. So this is this is mostly my position on the situation in Spain, which is a very complex situation. Like in many yeah. countries, judicial governance, actually. But so basically there is a discussion and and the the you know the reform is on hold, right? So so do you think that uh, anytime soon there will be some uh, steps forward, either in agreeing, reaching the political agreement when it comes to the appointment of, of the members or, or actually the reform will take place? So so what do you think uh, will happen I, in the next months or like? I, I'm not sure. I don't I don't see the reform of the system of appointment. Mm hmm happening at, at, at in this like uh before the next election which mm -hmm. will be at the end of the year i think if after the next election the conservative main opposition party partido popular comes to power they might uh reform the system of appointment of council members i and i'm hopeful that uh in the next few months, there will be some sort of agreement on the renewal of members of the Judicial Council under the current system. As I say, I I can agree that like 
having a different system of appointment of some of the members of the Judicial Council, which is more in line with European standards, could be a great idea. It's something that can be discussed. And depending on how it is implemented, it could be positive. I also I also consider that with the current system of appointment, uh, Spain, as, as we were saying, is a stable democracy with a very good level of judicial independence, etc. So therefore, there is no reason to refuse mm -hmm. the renewal of the council. So therefore, I hope that these main sold. political parties in the country will be able to reach an agreement in the next few months. But I don't know. I don't mm -hmm. know. Yeah, okay. Just one more last question. I'm interested when it comes to Spain. So when this whole uh, you know drama uh, over the judicial appointment started, there were discussions uh, because it was happening at this like maybe at the same time when there was these cases before the ACJ, Polish cases, when they were decided. So there was this discussion, you know, whether Spain should end up, the Spanish case should end up before ACJ as well. So my question is, do you really think that, um, uh, you know, I, I, I just have a question. What do you think about this new uh, new prerogative of the ACJ to set the standards on judicial independence and somehow guide the judicial design in the member states. And do you think that the standards they set could be valid and applied in all the uh, the countries, uh, or you think it's a this was a specifically solution for this one problem that happened in Poland. So do essentially I'm asking, do you think that this jurisprudence of the ACJ will survive beyond the liberal uh, regimes? I think like so the the European Union has a mandate in the treaties to like uphold the rule of law. And yeah. whenever the rule of law is under threat in a member state, I think it's right for the EU to to intervene and it is right for the European Court of Justice to, to set the standards in cases in which the rule of law is seriously under threat. Uh, I don't think that's the case of Spain at the moment. Therefore, I don't think it was justified to compare the police case to the Spanish case. Um, for sure, in Spain, there are many things to improve, but Spain is rating well in terms of rule of law, democracy, etc. Now, I think, and I think and, and we have like a, another another problem here is with how we uh, measure rule of law, democratic quality, etc. And that's also another thing. And we have two options here. We can do it based on international standards. I, for my research, for instance, I use VDEM because I think it's one of the main standards. It is very, very much discussed in the literature whether like indexes like the Freedom House Index or VDEM or or any other are reliable. Uh, and obviously they are not perfect, but the alternative to that probably is to make assessments based on our intuitions. And I think that's even worse, right? So, and I say this because when it comes to Poland and Spain, uh, international indexes like uh, like VDEM or the Freedom House or, or many others consistently rate Spain as a, democracy of a good level of as a country with a good level of democratic quality is not the same for Poland that unfortunately has had uh, some backsliding uh, and even more Hungary and therefore in these cases uh, I think you know it would be more justified to for the European institutions to intervene in these countries in terms of the rule of law. Uh huh. Because of the mandate within the Article Two of the TU. Yes. 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 I understand. Yes. I understand. Okay, that's an interesting 
Uh, uh, that's an interesting uh, approach. Okay, uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for this uh, wonderful discussion. And uh, I'm really looking forward to, to uh, how to say, uh, democratizing the judicial governance <laughs> uh, research uh, this way. And um, now I would really like to invite our uh, listeners to and readers uh, to read uh, Dr. Castillo-Ortiz's book. It's available, it's open access, right so so it's available to everybody which is amazing and uh thank you so much for for being our guest today it was truly a pleasure talking with thank you thank you so much theodora thank you so much it was a pleasure for me okay uh also i would invite our listeners to follow us on all social media thank you so much and until next time <laughs>